Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episode, and jot down our information wherever you find this episode. My name is Andy Lipson. I'm a teacher and socialist here in Oakland. Uh, we're joined regularly by Kenny, uh, also a socialist community organizer, Kenny Zapata. Um, and again, we have our special guests who are not so much guests anymore, but kind of becoming regulars while Eduardo uh, is away for the next month or so. Uh, we have Jessica, who teaches English literature, writing, and environmental humanities at a university in the Pacific Northwest. And John Kleisick, the author of School Word Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education, and he's a frequent contributor to Unlimited Hangout. Um, welcome, everyone. Thank Good you. Um, so today is actually a continuation, as I understand it, of our of a of our discussion about transgender and its connection, transgender movement and its connection to transhumanism. We saw, we had a kind of debate about that about two episodes ago, but. John, Jake, I, I think during that time, you kind of did a deep dive into art history and into kind of the history of philosophy through art. And it was sort of, you kind of gave an indication of that with that one picture you saw of those kind of motorcycles um, uh, that you that were kind of merging into each other with the, the queer theory and the things and stuff like that. And that led us to, to kind of say, this might be an opportunity to kind of go deep more deeply into that and kind of we're going to follow you today in what you've sort of unearthed in looking at the connection between transgenders and trans and transhumanism. Um, at least that's the best I understand it. And, and we are hoping that it leads us to kind of an understanding of philosophy today, as well as a deeper understanding of what transhumanism really is. Is, is that right? Yes, sir. That is correct. And maybe we'll talk about something called translingualism as well, which relates to uh, th this whole trans paradigm uh, and, and in terms of like language, how language functions, uh, not just in terms of one of the trans ideologies, gender, transhuman, translingual, but how it fits into philosophy and metaphysics. And we'll see that in the art as well. So okay. hopefully that gives us some concrete imagery to sort of anchor in a lot of jargon that will get tossed around today. And I was just going to say that, you know, we're hoping that this maybe sheds some light into what's happening, right, in terms of the changing world uh, that we're, you know, facing that we talk about here uh, when it comes to, you know, new technologies and you know, what does that mean for humans, right? Um, at least that's what I hope to get out of this, you know, to be able to look at the world and, and maybe be more critical. This is one of those episodes like we did with um, Allison around Diego Rivera where I think it's probably going to be for folks who are listening. It might be, this might be one where you might want to see the episode. Is that correct, Jake? Cause we're going to be having some visuals we're going to be referring to. Yeah. Well, definitely with the, when I pull up the, uh, the artwork, um, you know, I mean, I'll try to describe it as much as possible, but even, even if you can picture it right by, by an accurate description, it'll be better if you can actually see it as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And just see what your own what comes up for you as you as you look at it um all right um it's your show jake so what i so to start off basically i kind of want to pick off uh pick up from where i i didn't get to sort of get into detail last time and so we could start with that 
chart that I had provided. If okay. you want to pop, me pop that up. up. Yep. And, and so um, there's a lot of, you'll see here in the middle, I've got politics on the left, philosophy in the, in the middle, and then economics on the right. Now, I, I want to probably skip over the stuff on the left-hand column today. So the intersectional, the, the, polit the politics, uh, and, you know, the cultural Marxist stuff. Obviously, it does fit into some of the stuff we're going to talk about, but let's make it less complicated than, than it needs to be. So if you look at the middle there, uh, you have uh, in the very middle note, it says queer slash performance theory. And then underneath that is theme theory. And that's associated with uh, the philosophical component of uh, the transgender slash also transhuman uh movements and where they where they over overlap or intersect okay and then on the right there it says transhumanist uh consumerism and then that's the economic part uh basically uh, what all these things have in common is essencelessness meaning uh in the so for so to define let's let's start by defining queer queer theory or which is basically performance identity okay so if you there's the LGBTQ acronym, and then there's many other letters that come after that. But the Q part stands for queer, and it is separate from, right, the LGBT, right? Um, actually, I was looking at something. A non-binary woman was critiquing uh, cisgendered people, and she said, and also, if you're queer and cisgender, right? So queer actually has to do with, uh, as Judith Butler puts it, it's basically an, an identity without essence, right? And it, by, by definition, it is, to use her word, it is something that is peculiar, eccentric, odd, otherwise unorthodox, right? It does not fit into clearly defined categories of identity, right? And so theme theory is sort of, it's, it's actually a literary term, but it sort of does the same thing that queer theory does with gender, except it does it with objects. And so uh, the theory basically works that, especially uh, in literature, objects become more than just their utility, but then you can extrapolate this into the, the material world that an object becomes a thing when it is no longer falls under its common usage, okay? So if, if an object gets broken, or if it has some really sentimental attachment to it or something like that. And then therefore it, it, it loses its essence as, as the object in terms of, its, of what you can do with it and what we commonly understand about it, okay? And so in both of these, right, you have a human being or the human identity without essence. And then in the external, right, non-human world, you have objects without essence, okay? Now, moving into the right, right-hand side of the, um, of the diagram there. Once we have basically taken the essence or the, the basic definition of gender or an object, uh, and you sort of blur these two things together, what you have is biology or nature without essence. Okay. And what, what, what I mean by that is that, um, basically, all of the stuff in nature, all of the raw materials become uh, essentially no different. So, so the so the human biology and the biology of you know trees and rocks, 
optics and, and well, not biology of rocks, but right. I mean, the, the biochemistry of the, of the physical world, all that stuff is basically can be a raw material. Okay. And so at that point you can, you can basically manufacture it um, and you can consume it in any, any way that your technology enables you to sort of piece together. Okay. And so in other words, if you have a computer um, and you have a human being, right, we would typically, right, we would define a human as different or separate from a computer, right? And you would also define a computer, right, as separate from like the raw materials of nature, okay? But if you take a computer, a computer is basically, it's an information technology and it's meant to store and process information, okay? But if you start to, um, integrate it with biology, right? We're sort of moving it outside of its common usage, right? So now, so this computer becomes a thing, right? It doesn't have an essence because, right, at the, at the point that it's integrated with the body, now we've blurred the lines between your biological identity and like the raw materials that we can extract and manufacture from nature, right? And so in other words, What's, which one, which part is, is human, right? I mean, it, it's, there's a, a paradox in philosophy. It's called like the old boat and the new boat. So if you have an old boat and you replace one piece at a time, slowly over time, right? At first, if it's just one board on the boat, okay, it's still the original boat with one piece added to it. But eventually, right, if you keep replacing it, at what point is old boat totally gone and the new boat, right, has totally replaced it. So if you use the same paradigm with human biology and the raw materials of nature that can be used to, you know, processed and manufactured and consumed, and you start to put, you know, a little chip here, a little chip here, uh, you know, a biosensor there, at what point, right, can you say that there really is a difference between the biology and the uh, and the raw materials of nature that that we would uh, manufacture right through economics, okay. Um, and at that point, basically, what we have is both a human being without essence, as far as human identity without essence, and nature itself without essence. Meaning, no longer do we can we call nature this thing that is the external, you know, uh, material universe separate from, right, the thing we call human, which is the human biology. And, and Jessica looks like she's got a hand going up. I have a question. Could you try to define essence, Jake? Yeah, so so when, when we talk about essence, uh, now I'm gonna look, we're gonna look at something in terms of, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look at it in terms of metaphysics eventually, all right? So when I look at uh, the I Ching, and uh, I'll so the I Ching has like, um, I'll just pull it up now. So what you see here is these are called trigrams around a yin yang, okay? And so there's three solid lines at the top is heaven, the three broken lines is earth. Uh, this one over here with the two solid lines with the broken line, I know that's fire. And then this over here on the opposite end is water. And then in between you have lake, thunder, uh, mountain, and wind, 
Okay, and so these are just symbols that can be used to represent the phenomena of nature. But this symbol in the middle, right, is also has a, a corollary in Taoism. It's basically can be seen as the symbol of the Tao. And it's the idea that, um, that, that these symbols actually refer to something in reality, right? So, when we, so eventually we're going to talk about deconstructionism. And there's this difference, there's this idea about the signified and the signifier, right? So when we, words are signifiers, numbers are signifiers, and then these different symbols here in the I Ching are signifiers. But they signify something in reality, right? And so if you're talking about a tree, right, we mean, we mean that it, that to say that a tree has an essence, we mean that a tree is defined both by what it is and what it is not. Right, so like in formal logic would be something like A equals A or A does not equal not A. Right, and so, so by essence, we mean that it's not just a linguistic category that, that when, we're, when we're using language to refer to things, we are saying to say that it has an essence means that it refers to something objective in nature prior to what we bring to the table with language or numbers. Is that a semi-coherent explanation. Okay, right, and so. So then I'm trying to think. So obviously things like happy or sad, those are just words, but don't have, those are not, those are not words that are about essence, right? Right, so those, so those words, I mean, just as anybody like happy, meaning like you could be happy, two people could be happy about totally different things. Right. But it still is objectively right. The sensation of right. A, a pleasurable psychological perspective. Right. So um, I guess you could say that it has an essence in terms of the phenomenology of mind, but not in, in the same sense as material categories of, of reality. Okay. OK, so. So let me let me just let's just take a look. So just so you can see that what I just strung together is not actually just me throwing a word salad around. I want to show you there's a there's a book. Yeah, that's the picture we saw on our last episode or that we were talking. Yeah. And so so uh, this book came to my attention. It was in a, a, a catalog, an order catalog. It was circulating around the college in a couple of years before I wrote my book. It was while and I was writing it. Was, I didn't name the book so people always can know. So it says, The Queer Life of Things, Performance, Affect, and the More Than Human. Okay? So, it's, so if you just look at the keywords in the title, it's saying basically everything that I probably was not as articulate as I could have been in terms of describing. All right? So The Queer Life of Things. So we're talking about queer theory. Identities without essence, and then things, objects without essence. Okay, in other words, objects that do not, that cannot be defined are queer in the sense that, right, they don't fall into traditional categories or clearly defined categories. And then you'll see here it says performance, affect, and the more than human. So again, performance for, uh, for queer theory and for people like Judith Butler, that means that, like, you, there's no such thing as male or female in terms of biology these are social constructs that you 
that are performative. And she makes a distinction between performance and performativity. Um, but this, the idea is nonetheless that, right, that these, that you act out these uh, social constructs, okay? And that is an, that is an, uh, an act of query, right? That is a, a, an act of queerness, right? Especially when we play, right? So you like to use this idea of play where playing with whatever borders of language we might have in, term, in terms of male, female, and then and how they relate to those social roles, okay? And then also we have affect being emotion. So, right, again, if you can't, if there's no objective categories, right, in other words, if there's no essence, like if, if it's just a signifier and, and what is signified is there's nothing objectively there, right, then there's, there's it's, it's not a logical thing, it's about affect. It's about how do you identify with it, how do you feel about it, and, and how do you perform it, right? Which is which is not logos in, in you know Derrida when we talk about deconstructionism. He says that deconstructionism is text-centric instead of logocentric. And basically what he's saying is there's no objective truth, there's no objective reality, there's no there's no essence to reality okay and then the more than human obviously right the transhuman okay uh and so if you look at the the artwork here like basically what we have is i don't know they look like worms they're like worms but they're not made out of they look like they're made out of some kind of a, a, either a plastic or like a um not graph graphite, but um, what do you call it? fiberglass or something like that? And then they've got they've got little motorcycle wheels. And then if you look at their faces, I'm guessing that these are their faces. They've got like looks like mirrors, little glass mirrors, like in their faces. And then coming out of their heads are these antennas slash antlers okay so a good example of right is it an antler is it an antenna right is it is it something that is like natural like that you would see on an animal in nature like an antler or is it like an antenna like something that would be artificially created manufactured you know like electronics okay uh, and then another thing that i think is interesting about this artwork is that um what you see here is like it's almost like they're one thing like it's clearly, it looks like there's two of them, right? There's one on the left and one on the right, but the way that the one on the left, its head kind of overlaps the wheel. Like if you're just looking at it two dimensionally, you can almost see it as one thing. So then like, even if we were able to define one of these little creature things, like define it clearly, like in, a, in some kind of objective way, which I think the whole point here is to illustrate, right? It's something that cannot be clearly defined, right? It's not a, not a vehicle. It's not a bug, it's not an animal, it's not a person, it's not an electronic, it's not a machine, right? It's all these things and none of those things. But the other thing that, that sort of shows up is that, like, like, you can't even separate one of those things from the other thing, right? That they blur together, right? And that they're, if they have an individual identity, however undefined, it, right, actually bleeds into or blurs into the identity of the other, okay? Um, and so, and so this book, I think with its title and its artwork, uh, provides a decent, 
visual representation of how I see at least queer theory and performance identity, how those philosophies can lead to or feed, right, a move into transhumanism if, right, by definition, we then, like, if we cannot define what it means to be human, then, right, I mean, then, then, then like, uh, as Kenny was saying, like, we're already transhuman almost, right? I mean, just with the, the, the amount of uh, screen time that we have, right? And actually, you know, C.S. Lewis, um, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about later, uh, you know, he kind of saw this coming in, you know, he died in the 1960s. He was born in the, in the 19th century, uh, late 1800s. And he never, he never drove a car because he saw like automobiles as like, like the, you know, the, the early mechanization, the early industrialism, like he saw that, like how we see computers already. All right. And so, you know, maybe you could say, hey, like, you know, look, we were transhuman when we were started driving cars. But but what I want to highlight here is that at some point, if we whatever, if you can't define an essence of what it means to be human, then you're on you're already on the trajectory to being transhuman and you're on the trajectory of not being able to distinguish a human being from a commercial computer product. And so that's sort of the, the, the paradigm. So let me pause and see if there's anything you want to say or. Yeah, I think the, the last part about like how the two entities are conjoined is so important because to me, like queer theory and transgender ideology, gender ideology in general, like it's all about boundary violation. And so, yeah, like these boundaries and borders like all breaking down and suddenly it's like even definitions of word like you said human like if you can't define something as basic as that then you can kind of go anywhere and like we saw that with our previous episode with you know some of you saying like I I don't know how to define woman or man um yeah I'm really curious like Kenny and Andy like what you think of all this as Marxist materialists because I feel like this whole idea of like essencelessness seems to me to be like totally anti-materialist so I I really want to hear what you think. Kenny you want to go or I need a second to think about it. I mean I'm first off I'm not like this is not this isn't an avenue of way how I would approach something and thinking because it's, it's, I'm from a different tradition, um, which this this feels like Hegelian almost, um, like trying to understand the world through ideas as opposed to trying to understand worlds through material. Um, but nevertheless, I think, um, you know, my conversations with Jake have helped me understand better my own under, my own beliefs. So I'm fine with it. Like I'm fine with let's go down this road and see where it leads. The, the thing that comes to mind for me is, and I don't want to bleed too much of this into the previous discussion, but I'm okay so far with the idea of like, hey, we do need to figure out like that notion of at what point, at how many tools, if you will, do you have to apply to the human before the human is no longer a human, but is actually a tool. He is, but the human is not the, the laborer. The human actually becomes the means of production, if you will, in Marxist terms, right? Um, 
Like, at what point do we slip from labor or worker even or not or human labor? Because uh, Marx thought that to, to be human is to labor is to is to not labor in, in the alienated form of like, oh, work sucks. But actually, he saw it as like very natural for humans to do work and uh, or to labor, to, to take their environment and transform it around them to make themselves either more comfortable or to work with others, however they would do that. He thought that was a very natural thing that had become unnatural under capitalism and under unnatural under any um, uh, class-divided society where one person is controlling the labor of, of others. Um, but uh, so that's the, that's the first... Th so the notion of... of of doing work and creating, being creative. Like, so I look at that piece of art and I go, well, I don't necessarily know if it's a motorcycle. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's a bug, but I do know it's an art. It, it, it looks like a piece of art. It looks like a human creation. I would say that. Um, and that might, and then to get this next question of, is for me, the idea of whether I'm male or female does not constitute an essence, an essential question for me of my humanity. So I will say that. And so, but that kind of brings us back to the, I don't want to go too much in the old discussion. So, but I do think that's important for humans to say, what, what must we hold on to? What is that essential piece that we must hold on to that we, that if we lose it, we, we've, we've stepped across a line. Um, and, and so that this is, I mean, that's why this, the things you're bringing up, Jake, do interest me. I just think it is a different lens and I think that's fine. And at least for me, um, I, I do see a, a line. At least for me, where you know, you know, the way you present, the way you experience the uh, uh, the world, you know, who you love, who you, you know, that, that is different than a world that is engineered. You know, in in where we're modifying and blending. You know, in um, so I don't have a problem with you know be love whoever you want you know do whatever you want present yourself however you want in the world um but i do see that line especially with this discussion right now is making me think about like you know essentially what what does it mean to be human right and 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 i think that it's out, out of our hands and you know as we more and more immerse ourselves in this world that is being created in in and in that, you know, I, I although I don't know fully how to say, you know, what what human is, I know it's not that, you know, I know that is more related to, uh, you know, technological forces that are about exploitation and 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 making us basically machines, you know, because that that is the ultimate of the goal in capitalism to exploit, you know, labor to the point where they operate as machines, right? You, you know, repetitive movement, right? In, in factories and, you know, minimize uh, the liability of and fragility of being human, you know? And so that's what's at stake here. Uh, that's why I see a difference between, you know, queerness, and, but I do see the, the argument though, that how this push for allowing uh, or not questioning, um, you know, this flu fluidity in terms of technological uh, synthesis with with biology. 
I, I do see a bigger issue there, you know, uh, in, a, in, in, in a line that, for me at least, has to be drawn. Um, yeah, and so that's how I think of it. I think, too, if I could just add one more thing. I think it's really important, as always, to also just consider like the historical context and the cultural moment, like in which a movement or an academic field or whatever emerges, right? And I do think it's not like an accident that queer theory just all of a sudden like took over the humanities and academia, right? Like that it, it I mean, it was quite sudden. I would say it was um, in large part, you know, sort of, um, I guess partially sort of like foisted upon the humanities by, you know, all of these corporate influences, pharmaceutical, medical, uh, military industrial complex, all of the stuff we talk about all the time. Um, but it was also, I mean, I, I get like, I, I'm not gonna try to drag it back to uh, some of the debates we had last time, but it, it also was like in response to second wave feminism and like radical feminists, you know, um, I mean, it came out of like postmodernism or as a part of like an arm of postmodernism. Um, but it did, I mean, queer theory, like it's not an accident that all of the departments in academia, like were literally just renamed. Like it used to be, we had women's studies programs, women's studies departments. And then it became like gender. Sometimes it's like gender and women um, or like gender and queer. Like it, 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 yeah, I, I just want to kind of point out that, like, at least, like, you know, having seen academia firsthand and kind of witnessed that transition, like, it, it didn't feel like an entirely organic, like, oh, this is just where, like, organic thinkers and grassroots activists, like, are are going, right? Like, um, there's a reason that it came up. And then also just looking at the context of sort of, like, the oncoming fourth industrial revolution, right? Like, that as well, like, the timing of all this taking off um, as sort of like the popular theory of the day in some sense, to me, is not, it's not an accident. And, and I want to make a point on that, but go ahead, Kenny. And as we've discussed before, you know, this also comes into, you know, what ideas get propelled forward and what ideas get censored and, you know, extricated from, you know, like the money, right. From academia. Yeah. For example. Yeah. And so that is why it is interesting what you're highlighting that, it didn't just evolve, it just suddenly appeared. Um, and I had a similar experience with like identity politics, but that's just another thing. In academia, like just, cause I know a lot of your listeners probably are not in academia and don't like feel very removed from it and probably don't give a shit rightly so in some sense, but you know, it's, it's, it is an arm like of empire, like it's completely taken. And so it, it does in a lot of ways, it's shaped and also shaped or is shaped by and also shapes the culture in some sense, right? And they're like, there's massive overlaps between, you know, the scientism of the day and technology and industry and politics and media, um, you know, and we've like COVID's like the perfect example, right? Like where you see like all of these arms working in tandem. And so just, I just want to mention that because I know like in some sense, probably a lot of people are like, who cares like what they're naming their departments in the, up in the ivory tower. Um, yeah. yeah. And just one thing, sorry, Jake. <clears throat> um, and that, I mean, education has always been an institution of 
elite control, or in my case, I would say capitalist control. It is a it is a it is an institution of maintaining one dom- the dominance of one class over another. So that is that's true regardless of of where you look in in the in the in the epoch of society. At least I would say under capitalism and it's true in other class divided societies. But one thing, that, and I'll come back to the thing that Jake had at, talked about in terms of Jake had noted that Karl Marx in his initial writings either it influ- was influencing and influenced by a rising working class struggle against early stages of capitalism. And, and his ideas were formed and shaped in that. And I would say one of the things that really is interesting about modern academia, as much as it lays claim to a, a legacy of Marxism, is it's actually occurred in almost its, its historic absence of class struggle. Like the level of class struggle in this country, and, un, and particularly it, during the era in which a lot of these ideas arose in academia and became untethered, balloons untethered from workers and their actual experience, is not, it's, not, it's not an accident that it also happens in a period where class struggle is very low, where movements are extremely weak and, and incapable of actually challenging the capitalist class in many, in many ways. Um, I would say because it's so disconnected from the, from the working class. But um, so I think that's another thing uh, is that these institutions are always, I mean, the, the places you work and the places I work, Je- you work, Jessica, and the place I work are institutions of capitalist control, but they are particularly dominated by those ideas when class struggle is as low as it, as low as it is. A couple things to, to, uh, to build on there. So one is, so the timing of queer theory and thing theory and, and then also deconstructionism. This all comes out of, or is a response to existentialism. And so every, every philosophical movement is basically a reaction or response to that prior to it. And sometimes the cliche is all philosophy is a footnote to Plato, right? And, and, we'll, and I'll actually kind of show you that in the art, right? Because each, each change in the art is a change in the philosophy, and that change in the philosophy is a direct, usually some sort of repudiation or challenge to whatever was, right, the prevailing philosophy of the time. And for existentialists, this came out of the modern period, and in modernity was basically this idea of, for the most part, is that uh, with rationality and empiricism, right, a, a sort of a synthesis of the two through, right, science and industry and just being rational, we didn't need, uh, we didn't need metaphysics. We didn't need religious authority. We didn't need spiritual authority, right? We could just sort of, we could just be rational and that would be expressed through the organization of politics and economics, right, which, but as it sort of uh, builds up to its climax, you, you get, you know, the two world wars, you get, you know, industrial capitalism and the dehumanization of workers, right? And then, you know, the colonial era prior to that. And so the existentialists were like, well, no, actually you can't just, you can't believe or trust, you know, rationality or empiricism because that's always going to be sort of, you know, in a Freudian sense, uh, colored by or tainted with, you know, your subconscious desires. And that was another, that's another thread, historical thread that sort of gives way to existentialism because of this, this understanding of how subconscious desire sort of impedes on what we might think is, you know, detached objective 
reason and, and science. Okay. And so for the existentialist, they said, all you can do is be authentic. All you can do is be authentically yourself. What does that mean? I mean, it means different things for different people. So there's no, there's no rational algorithm. There's no empirical formula. There's no, you know, uh, religious dogma that you can sort of use to like categorize yourself and then follow sort of like a script, right? You just have to sort of live it, right? And you have to, and, and the authenticity comes through the authentically lived experience being true to yourself, and what performance identity does, what queer theory does, is no, there is no authentic you. And this is, again, why, this, why I'm making the distinction between queer theory and any other of the letters in the LGBTQ acronym. Because you could be gay, lesbian, bi, or trans and say, I am authentically gay. This is, this is authentically what I am, who I am, right? And the same thing for any of the other categories, right? Versus the queer person can cannot can be you know heteronormative cisgender but they are they queer their identity in various other ways and those performative roles don't even have to necessarily be gender based or sex based they could be i was once told my one of my uh, colleagues told me that i would look like a businessman in drag back in the day because i used to wear my grandpa's suits his three-piece suits and you know like my wife sense has bought me a little more nicer stuff so i look a little more but you know i didn't i was like as a suit you know and i'm wearing these suits from the 70s in other words it was like you look like you're performing the role of a business person you don't look like you actually want to wear that which i usually don't i i don't care i you know i i don't do i don't like collared shirts i don't like ties i used to do the three-piece suit and all that right so so that is, um, and, and, and in this, you know, and I'll take this moment to, to say that there are elements of that that I do agree with, right? I mean, that, that there is much of your identity that is performed at a certain level, right? And, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be gender. It could be the example I just gave. Okay. Um, and so I, so I, so, so we can, we can make that, um, that distinction. Okay. Um, so, so it's a, to take a, to, to segue from here, I want to make another comparison in terms of the, the idea of a transhuman identity. So, so, so far, what I tried to do is suggest that if you can't define humanity in terms of biology, then you can't define humanity or you can't distinguish human biology from other forms of biology or other forms of nature that are not biological, right? So other, you know, chemical realities and, and, you know, the geology and things like that. And once, and if you can't draw that line, then, right, philosophically, there's, there's no basis to say that your human biology is sacred or dignified in any way that should preclude it from being manufactured, produced, and consumed in the same way as any other raw materials that we create are electric out of and blurring it. So that's sort of like blurs the, bio, the, the human biology with the product. But then there's also this idea of blurring human identity with data itself, which is not a material thing, so to speak, right? I mean, now, if, if you have data like a code, whatever type of um, script you want to use to program a computer, the, the material reality of the code is expressed in whatever images are displayed on the screen or whatever other functions uh, are, 
are produced through the electrical signals and the hardware, right? In other words, the software is basically ideas or texts, right? And so if we're talking, if we're talking about the metaverse, which is sort of another layer of a transhuman identity, one could be, you know, I don't go in the metaverse, but I got chips all up in my head and I've got, you know, uh, robot arms and I'm transhuman in, in a hardware sense, but transhuman in a software sense, this is where I'd like to, to uh, jump to deconstructionism. And deconstructionism is sort of a stepping stone in between the existentialists and the performance identity or queer theorists in terms of, you know, if you want to talk about that, that historical arc and on that spectrum. Right. And so to, to show that, I want to look at the E chain. So I showed you the, the E chain here. Yeah. Now, let, let me break down what this like what this means and how this works. Um, and I've been studying this since I was 16, actually. Uh, this was actually how I like learned how I really got into writing, and uh, and also like not just um, not so much like journalism and like nonfiction and and, and political analysis, but uh, like poetics and the idea of metaphor and symbolism, right? And so I would look at these things. What does what three solid lines have to do with heaven? Or what does three broken lines have to do with the earth? Like, huh, what? And, and it's, it's, this is basically a classical version of what Derrida, Jacques Derrida does with deconstructions. And the only difference is there's a, there's a yin-yang in the middle, which, which is the Tao, or which is the, the essence of the universe, okay? And the, the Greeks would have called it logos, all right? And, um, and that's why Derrida says that there is no logos in the text. It's just text referencing other texts. It's just symbols referencing other symbols. So here's how this, the, the, the machinery works for uh, Yiching. So, so basically what they say is this, that the universe, uh, this is actually very Hegelian if you think about it too, the universe is, consists of two opposing forces. Yang, which is the solid line at the top, and yin, which is the broken line down at the bottom. Now, these are actually gendered, okay? So the, the solid line is active, bright, strong, masculine. You can keep going and going and going, and then you can do the same, the opposite with the broken line yin, okay? Dark, passive, soft, female, etc. okay? Uh, they come together to form the four directions of heaven. And, you know, if you're like, well, why does heaven have four directions? Because if you're standing on a horizon, you can look basically forward to see that horizon. You can look behind you to see that horizon. You can north, south, east, and west. Okay. The four, and, and, and those would uh, be directions that corresponded with the horizon, which is where the, the heavens, the stars touch the earth. Okay. And then that comes together and you get eight elements. Okay. And then that's basically the symbol that I showed you here. Okay. And I do want to take this time to say that, okay, now it's gendered, but look, look at the yin yang in the middle. So the dark, the, the black is the yin, the white is the yang. But look, what this expresses is that there is no yin without yang. That, that within that yang is moving into yin, yin is moving into yang. There is an element of the yin in the yang. There is an element of the yang in the yin. And also, it's not that saw like so. So as I gendered it, and I said 
um, masculine strong, and then I said feminine soft. Well, these also can correspond to martial arts styles. And I've got a couple of martial artists here. You know that a soft style can be a strong style. In other words, a feminine style can be a masculine style and vice versa, right? These are just, these are, these are just linguistic categories that doesn't, that they're not hierarchical, right? That's why it's in a circle, okay? And so, but, but what it demonstrates though is that even in the East, right? To have any system of linguistic categorization, in other words, to have reason, to be able to have any kind of uh, uh, systematic discussion about whether it be the external material universe or the categories of the mind, the internal subjective uh, psychology, it is binary, right? I mean, so, so this is very much in opposition to people that say non-binary. And, and to illustrate this, um, think about it like this, okay? In order to say, like, like in order to, to even say something like transgender or to say something like queer, there has to be gender to begin with, right? There has to be male and female, right? There has to be, right? And, and, and we, we sort of had this debate last time, at least at the, at the very basic phenomenological level, right? In nature, not just human beings, right? Reproduction requires, right? These two different types of biological life forms to, right, interact to create another life form, right? We call that the male and the female, okay? And the same thing with the law of identity at all in formal logic. In formal logic, you have three laws. Law of identity, the law of non-contradiction, and the law of tautology. So the law of identity is based on a binary. Basically what it says is Leiden is sort of grafted. It's, it seems so kind of redundant, but it's like A equals A, or you could also say A does not equal not A. Meaning, right, A is defined by itself, but it's also defined by what it is not, right? And so to the extent that, look, that there's yin and everything and there's yang and everything, to the extent that, right, that what we could call masculine has an element of femininity and vice versa. Um, at the end of the day, right, there still are differences between, you know, uh, at least biologically between men and women, right? Like, like there, there is something to have, to have those, to be able to use those words, we're on a binary. And if we don't have the binary, you can't say things are contradictory. If you can't say that things are contradictory, you don't have a basis for any rational discussion, right? It's, that gets us back to that picture, that picture where it's performance affect and the more than human affect, meaning like it doesn't like like you you can't you can't point out that something is contradictory because there's no law of identity to contradict, right? And if there's no law of identity to contradict, this again gets us back to this place where. You're blurring the lines between the categories we use to define anything, period. And so to get us back to the, why I'm showing this in terms of Derrida, Derrida would, would take that, he would take that yin-yang out of the middle, he'd erase it. He'd say it's just signifiers, right? There's nothing to be signified. There is no doubt. There is no logos. There is no man or woman. These are, everything is 100% totally uh, 
uh, arbitrary. And actually what he says is that if you're, if whenever you're reading a text and somebody tries to claim that they are referencing something objective in reality, you know, in other words, the Logos or the Tao, that all that is, is that is, um, that is the raw expression of power, right? Like you're, it's, it's basically, the, the, hence the term deconstructionism. Like it's not that he's deconstructing it to get to the Tao or the truth or what is actually there. He's just saying that, right, that you're just deconstructing it based on its own symbols. So if you get rid of that Tao in there and everything is just broken lines and solid lines, which is binary code, zeros and ones, and, and literally, I can't, I can never remember the guy's name. It was a German guy, mathematician, but it was through his studying of the I Ching, I Ching that he decided that base two notation would be the most efficient way to plot any logical system, all right? And then this is, so So literally your binary code, if there's no essence in there, if, if those, if if the binary codes, the zeros, the ones, the broken lines and solid lines don't refer to, do not signify anything in reality or anything in nature, then what makes you different than a text? And he literally says this, right? That like everything is a text, right? We used to have, and we used to have this uh, textbook, uh, everything's an argument. It's sort of, sort of it's, it's not quite that, but I mean, it's sort of playing with the same idea, right? That everything is just a symbol, right? And it's, it's usually, and it's just signifying different dialectics of power and underneath it is not, is not any truth. Just underneath it is just different expression, you know, raw expressions of power. And so if, if you can, if you remove that Tao in there, then basically we're just data. If you're just data, then what makes you, your human body, any different better, worse, et cetera, than or from an avatar in the metaverse, right? Like how, how do you, how is, how is your physical, your, your biological body, the identity that's attached to that, how is that any more authentic than the avatar that you play, play with or perform in the metaverse? And I'll pause there and let y'all comment or question or whatever. Just in terms of like the hierarchy thing, the very last point that you made, Jake, I mean, I think where my mind goes when I hear like elite transhumanists talking about whatever, uploading their consciousness to the cloud and all of this type of, to me, pretty crazy uh, levels, levels of this. Um, I mean, I just think about the the opposite hierarchy, right? This idea that like, how how does it not end up with a different sort of class society like we're seeing kind of now where like the more than human or, you know, people who whatever have like technologized their bodies to the point where they are essentially like superhuman in their, in their minds, I guess you know, are going to be, especially because of the role, like technology and, and industry and all of this, right? Like when you actually think about how it would play out um, in reality and is playing out, then we become like the plague rats, right? Like just the regular old humans. And it, you know, I mean, you, you can see it like already with the, with the vaccine stuff, right? Of like, whatever, I haven't, 
altered my, you know, RNA or whatever. And so I am lesser. There's two angles, things that come up for me, and I'm trying to figure out which one to do first. I think I'll first bring up, I'm going to talk about first, like something, because you brought up Derrida and deconstruction and, and I did, I did think, and, I'll, and then I'm going to talk about my impression of this, of what, what we're, what we're hearing, what I'm hearing from you so far, Jake, uh, which are two maybe related things. So I did, I've often been particularly under Mark, as a Marxist, con, uh, critical of deconstruction Postmodernism, I think I've heard it in those terms, which is almost like there is no truth. You can't know things. Everything is all almost relative and perspective. And I would have lumped Derrida into that until I, until I saw the video that you actually asked us to watch prior to this, which gave me a little bit of different view of what he was trying to do with deconstruction. Um, and I want to share that this one quote that came from the video that you that you asked us to look at, which was pretty meaningful to me. Um, this is Derrida um, in his talk about deconstruction. And he said, the idea behind deconstruction is to deconstruct the workings of strong nation states with powerful immigration policies, to deconstruct the rhetoric of nationalism, the politics of place, the metaphysics of native land and native tongue. The idea is to disarm the bombs of identity that nation states build to defend themselves against the stranger, against Jews and Arabs and immigrants. Um, and so what, that was different than what I expected Derrida to be saying, because in a sense, he's what I thought he was kind of saying is, look, all these symbols, all these things are, are, are behind them are, are physical institutions of power. And these symbols that you're reading and seeing are all aspects of, of that power and are all some sort of manifestation of that power coming at you. In a sense, the way Marx might have put this is the ideas of society are, are the ideas of the ruling class that they're not just ideas that come out of nowhere, they're ideas that come from them. Although that would be superstructure in Marxism, not base, but you know, whatever. And, and in that regard, I do agree with that kind of, for me, that kind of deconstruction that, that tries to say, all these ideas, I don't trust any of them because they're kind of coming from an institution of power and of abusive power and of totalitarianism and dictatorship, actually, he's speaking. Because he's talking about the nation state not as a neutral thing here. He's talking about the nation state as something which dehumanizes and breaks people apart. Um, so in that regard, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting to me. So it's not just wanton deconstructionism, it's deconstructionism as an aspect of rebellion against institutional power. So that part of it, I, I agree with. But I'll also say what I think is what I think Derrida is stuck with is the idea that you can fight this in the, in the mental or physical or in the thought world. Like, and that's what I kind of see maybe Jake happening here is I don't feel like, I don't feel like we can get at what makes me human through the realm of ideas, because I think about what has been the most perverse thing that has really upset me so much in this period. It is what Jessica's talking about. It's somebody saying they're going to inject something into me, like that something they of theirs that they want to inject into me that, and it's not like they haven't gotten away with this before, but they're there. But at this point, I'm very conscious of, of my physical, my, actually my physical body, like the material body as being a part of my essence and somebody coming in and saying, no, I'm going to get to decide what goes inside of you. And I'm going to decide essentially, and, and in some ways change my fate by virtue of that. And, 
And so there is a way that this approach that talks about Tao and these symbols to try to, to try to understand what makes me, me, but from, from the idea world seems like I'm, that's, that seems like a transhumanist way of thinking almost like the way we approach it is I almost think about what would an indigenous person right here be saying, like person who had never known about written language. I don't think they'd have a question of what makes them human or what makes them their themselves. That's something that's come about by virtue of us being stripped apart over time and through civilization, I almost feel. And so I almost feel like the way that the, the thought way you're coming in is sort of coming from it almost at a, at a not just an intellect, but from the ideological angle. And I don't know if this, I somehow don't feel like this can be, humanity can't be preserved from the mental. It, uh, it feels like it will come out of the material. And that's, that's something that comes, that's coming to mind to me as I listen. Well, can I, yeah, uh, real quick? No, yeah. And so, I, cause I, and I forgot to share, let me just show this. So just so you get a visual representation of this. Okay. So we're just real quick. So what you see here is, can I make it bigger? I can make it bigger. This is actually also, you take those eight elements and you put them together and they come up with 64 hexagrams and I got them tattooed all over myself. <laughs> And, uh, and and there's all sorts. You can actually do lots of really uh, uh, like logical stuff with it, but you could, like there's like divination, you get like oracles. But what you'll see is right, right down the, the, the corner here is the eight elements here. So that's the earth, that's the uh, mountain, water, wind, thunder, fire, lake, and then there's heaven. And then it has axes. So you see heaven goes up and all the way up the side and all the way down the end. The earth goes all the way up the side and down the end. And then if you look here, you can see the different, uh, uh, you can see it visually in terms of color. So instead of just seeing lines and lines everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's a closed system, right? So even in, even with Derrida, like, uh, he's, I, He's saying that he's critiquing these things, but what is he putting in its place? Like, either he has a separate system to put in its place, or if we apply his own philosophy to what he's doing, then, right, there's no closed system even with what he's proposing. So isn't he, what he's saying, again, just another assertion of, uh, you know, you know, again, this guy was a rock star in academia. There's institutions behind him, right? And they are moving in this in this direction. Um, and I just, so, so I wanted to say that, but I also wanted to point out that, um, so with the Dow, uh, if you guys recall last time that I, um, when we did the, uh, it was one of the, was we did the right, left, uh, connect the, the, the right and left episode. And I ended it with my stick. And I explained how, right, Ajarn Chai calls it one thing in, in Kravikrabong and in Eskrima, they call it something else. But one way or another, it's the same thing. It's still a stick, right? And so what that, what that illustrates about what, the, what a Taoist would believe is that, yes, we, you can use symbols to organize and rationalize the universe. And yes, it, it does relate to something in reality, like the natural world, but you actually can't ultimately put a 
absolute label on it. Like Taoism is, it's strange because it's metaphysical, but it has like, almost, I want to say almost like a skeptical element to it. It's like a no mindedness. It's like, like I to use my example again, when I put my stick up, I don't call it anything. So to go with what you're saying, Andy, like in the moment of truth, like I put the stick up and it blocks the weapon. Okay, and I'm not using language, but right at the same time, right, if I want to transmit the concept of what, to, you know, if I want somebody else that doesn't know how to use the stick to be able to use it, I have to be able to use some symbols to refer to this, this real technique that has to be done a particular way if you don't want to get your head split open, right? And so, so, so yes, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to pretend that it's just a matter of, uh, playing with the symbols in the, in the correct order that somehow changes the paradigm that, that it's through like actually a very, very existentialist, right? Like, like actually applying the concept in action, but at the same time, uh, the, the, the symbols or the ideas are super important. And if we're talking about where we're at right now in history with the fourth industrial revolution and the COVID psyop and everything else, like, it's primarily, right, media propaganda. It's primarily people are scared of, right, people are, no one's grabbing somebody and sticking a needle in them yet. People are going in there going like, I need my shot because I'm scared because I believe in false ideas. And largely what I've been doing with the book and, and with this type of stuff is hoping that, right, if, if, I, if you can break through the false ideas, that that, that person can then move from, Right, just talking about what to call the stick to being able to use the stick, and so that's so I'm agreeing with you, but I'm I'm sort of rebutting as well. I mean, that's something that um, what you just said, uh, Jake, um, that I've been wrestling with in terms of you know, because I, I do see what you're describing, uh, especially from what you said, Lipson, about the lack of struggle. You know the lack of uh, struggle to influence ideas, to influence the, the the you know the institutions that shape us, that control us, that govern our lives. Um, I do see that more and more ideas that are come from above us, you know, that are not decided by us, because we are not engaging in ideas, because we we've been conditioned to receive the dictations. Uh, because we lack uh, again the the the, uh, the uh, confidence to engage in these conversations, right? And so there is an element of this, right, that we are going to need this as a Marxist, socialist, revolutionary. We're going to need people to engage in this and have the confidence in order to understand, you know, what's happening and and how we want to shape things. Obviously, in, it put it in, in practice. So, so it's both, you know, uh, for me. Um, and so that's what I do find value in what, you know, your interpretation of Derrida, how do you pronounce it? Um, yeah, yeah. About deconstructing things, the ability to deconstructing and understand that things are not absolutes, you know, that especially these institutions, laws, they're not absolutes, you know. And, and, and so, because I do think by and large, we are governed by this illusion that these structures that are built on social constructs are immovable. 
you know, and as a socialist, I, I think they're actually very fragile, you know, and like these, these ideas, like they actually don't have something tangible, you know, like if enough people say, I don't want to follow your fucking law, it, it's irrelevant. It doesn't exist. And, and, and so I do think there is a bit of both. And I, I guess my exercise or my goal is to do it in a manner that is accessible because it's a fucking lot, you know, it, it, it takes a lot, you know, to, to be able to engage in the, in the world of ideas. And that's why people, because we've been conditioned to not be our own intellectuals, we get removed from that. And, and, it's, and then it's left to the academics and to the experts, to the CDC, to Dr. Fauci, to, you know, to, to decipher us. Yeah, and I think there's like an increasing inability to even, I don't know, like even acknowledge that social constructs like kind of exist in some sense, which I guess maybe comes from not reading and not learning history and not having space in the day, right? Like under capitalism to even, as you said, like engage in the, in the world of ideas. Cause I don't know, a lot of like just these last couple comments have been making me think about like, okay, that question that we were tossing around probably like a year ago or <laughs> of like what enables certain people to like get, get it with this or, or any other issue. But, and I don't know, like we weren't really able to answer that. It's like, why, like, are we just smarter or are we just, I don't know, like, we heard better words we heard it articulated differently and i still don't know what the answer to that question is um but i do think like that idea of a social construct that i'm that i kind of picked up on i think from what you said kenny so is, I, I to, uh, yeah no go ahead uh, like vijay prishad you know this indian marxist uh, you know he's from the academic world but he for example talks about these we were sold this notion that struggles just pop up, you know, but there is organization that happens. There is people that are on the ground. And for some reason, it, you know, at one context, it, it gets, it lights on fire, you know, but it does, doesn't produce out of nothing. You know, it does require people engaging in this conversation, in these ideas, you know, it, but it, 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 they're ineffective unless they're in the, in, the, in the hands of the masses of people. You know, and, and that's why I'm a socialist, basically. But but I also engage in this, and that's why I read, and that's why you know, I I you know engage in these difficult subjects and try to like, you know, recognize them because I do think that these conversations do exist. You know, in 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 just simpler terms. You know, like just just like a conversation I have with my family over you know like self determination, right? Like the, the, the spectrum of self determination. We don't have it with this. Uh, semantics but we do have like the free will you know the conversation about free will you know and and, and in policing and this and that and so because the you know you have to answer those questions about res individual responsibility right and that also happens in, in things like you know like addiction right that we need to have that conversation where you know about free will and you know like like contextual things, right? That 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 did to create these things, and so I don't know. I'm just maybe you know just going over the point, but I do think it's it's important to have both. And I'm not saying that obviously like only a select group of people should lead, but the 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 the, the, 
the debates have to exist, you know, in, in, in order for, uh, you know, things to shape and to just understand in order to ask the right questions. <laughs> Jake, do you want to go or should I say something about this? Go ahead. I, 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 I mean, yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, and again, I think because Jake, you know, what the, some the, some of the stuff you're doing is for me almost like poetry. It's I think eluc elucidating a number of different responses from us, um, or at least that's my impression. Um, because what comes to mind for me is I am throughout this conversation has come up things like the terms base and superstructure, material and idea. You know. And again, from my Marxist roots, those are not chicken or egg things. Marxists say the material conditions, the, the ideological, they, they interact, but that, that it's founded on actual physical matter, you know, and the base, the economic relations and the class divisions and labor and tools condition the superstructure, the organization of it. So those sorts of things. And we've talked about a previous episode, we talked about how in my view, actions, the things we do uh, are proceed and are the ideas we have about ourselves come in many ways are originate out of the things we do. They don't, we don't think and then act, we act and then think essentially. That's, that's the theory. Okay. Um, and then I, it makes me think about why am I not teaching today? Like, why am I not teaching in, San, in, in my school that I wanted to teach in? It isn't, be, it isn't, it actually isn't because of ideas, although the fact that ideas have in influenced my colleagues and, and things like that certainly has made me a person who is easier to dispel from that place. But fundamentally, the reason I'm not in my classroom anymore is that if I, it's not just because I didn't sign the smart sheets, but if I showed up at my class, I would show up as the teacher. The sub who was assigned that by the district would show up as the teacher. And the question would be, which one of you is the teacher? Well, who's going to decide that question? The district? And then the, and the police will come in and say, which one of you is such and such this name, which is the one who is assigned by the district. They will say that you're that person, you, we're, we're hauling you out of here. So the real reason I'm not teaching in my class isn't because of a piece of paper, isn't because of a set of ideas. It's because there's a state that has a police force that can basically use the threat of its police force to decide these questions for us. Now that's in my head, but that's how that would roll, right? And so I think that this is the stuff that's coming up for me, which is like truth is to be found in the material, not in the ideological almost. And that's that this is where I'm struggling with trying to make sense of transhumanism using what feels like an intellectual construct when transhumanism is about almost dematerializing ourse ourselves. That's that's well. You know, that's how it feels like, you know, and and so that's what comes up for me. And I think, too, like, I don't know, like, like there's intellectualism and spirituality. But to me, like so much of transhumanism, at least the way that I hear it, like articulated and see it actually playing out. Is like not I mean it's all based on data, a lot of it, right? Like the way that the fourth industrial revolution is going and data is not, I mean, data is not actually essenceless. Like you need data farms, right? Like Microsoft is building them like underneath the ocean floor because you do actually need that to happen, right? Which like 
to me is like a boundary violation, right. From, um, of the earth. Um, just like the, the, the vaccine when coerced is a violation of like someone's bodily integrity. So I guess, I guess, yeah, I, I have trouble with that, like jump of like, I don't transhumanism to me, like it doesn't seem particularly intellectual or, or spiritual or any like, yeah, any of these sort of like essenceless spaces where, you know, I maybe would have some desire to be or, or um, have some like positive connotation with, I guess. I, you know, I understand what you're saying. It's like, you know, there is this feedback, right? Like, it's not just like, like the material influences ideas and ideas influence materials, but we're saying that, you know, like taking control of the material, you know, will shape, you know, ideas. And, um, and in a way, I think we, 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 it's proven by the fact that we don't control the ideas, right? And, and the only, um, the only, again, real control and in, in ability to see each other as humans will be by sharing the same space and experiencing each other, you know, because then, that then those those constructs, you know, the religious construct, you know, the identity construct, you know, those constructs, I see them, uh, you know, as being challenged in actually experiencing each other. And that's why we talk about, you know, the importance of taking, you know, like your, your job site, right? And talking shit about what's going on at work, you know, because I, I, at least me, I see that that is, if we, regardless of your religion or, or your political inclinations, you can see a commonality if you're struggling to make a living, you know, the fundamentals of life. You, you can see a commonality in, you know, in feeling exploited and humiliated and, you know, and disregarded. Um, and, and, and so that's why I put it, you know, yes, like ideas, we will have to talk about it because we'll have to understand that the ideas are hurting people. I, I do think that they are hurting masses of people into, you know, into our own slaughter of our own, our own humanity. So we do have to understand some, some level of that in order to reach that point where we can be in the same space, you know, and, 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 and face those, you know, the coercive apparatus that ultimately uphold all these things. Because when everything fails, when their, when their ideas fail, when we, when we no longer adhere to the dominant ideas and we say, fuck you, we know that the, the last stand is force you know, in order to, to hold to power. To be clear, to, to be clear, and what I'm saying is behind all these ideas, they would, they would have nothing if not underwritten by that force. They, and we often for, forget that because we don't really get to that point. I mean, the level, again, the level of struggle isn't one where we see that there's one force against another force. And that's what this comes down to where like, like, you were saying, um, Jake, where the notion of the stick is not about something that's written or something that can be described, it must be enacted. It can only, it's true, it's true meaning can only be in the action of using that stick as defense and obviously as offense. And, and, in, and it's a physical action actually in which it's actual truth becomes revealed. Uh, maybe I would say, maybe that's a loaded word. So I think we often forget how much of these these ideas that we think we're being controlled by are actually 
controlling us because they're underwritten by the force of the state and its institutions of coercion, military and police. We, I mean, that, that's just, if you take those guys away, everything becomes a free for all really. I mean, and a good free for all in my opinion, but a free for all. Go ahead, Jake. Well, so, I mean, you know, to me, you've gone back and forth on ideas and, and doing and thinking ideas and actions and, and, you know, chicken and egg. And I'm starting to wonder if that's not, if that's just uh, a useless uh, question or debate. And I don't mean like, I mean, like to, 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 to frame the question in like one has to come before the other all the time or, or ever. Right. As it, like, and just like that in young, right. Like it's, it's one circle with two things working together, ideas and actions. Right. And, um, you know, like just to use that analogy again with the stick, like, um, so any techniques that I've been able to, uh, I don't want to say perfect, but one that I could score on a lot, right. That I, that that's my, that that's mine. Like I can get that on anybody. I might get caught once or twice, but I know I can get that technique. Like, Yes, a lot of times, usually, sometimes it's you drill it first. And that's the idea, right? The abstract form of it. But a lot of the times, right? Most of the time, when once the moment at which, like, I could say it was my technique, like I knew I could use it when I needed it, that happened through sparring, right? And like getting hit, right? And messing it up. And then usually, like, the first time you start scoring with it, you don't really have the idea crystallized quite yet. Right. Like after you do it a few times, man, that works good. What am I doing? And then you think about it and then, right. And then you sort of come up with this idea, but this is where I want to distinguish between an idea and a metaphysic. And that is the idea is just the use of symbols or signifiers, meaning words or numbers to, to capture or to express and to therefore be able to use it in a premeditated manner, forward thinking, what what is there whether you had ideas for it or not right and so that so that that stick technique or whatever other technique it is that technique was always there and whether or not i had to learn it to get punched first or somebody showed me a drill and i drilled it enough times to where i was able to just do it and sparring without actually having to get beat up too many times whichever came first that that technique was always there and it was it, it existed existentially as as a transcendent or a metaphysical function of the human body. I mean, like Bruce would say things like, um, you know, there, he's got a book, right? It's the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. Jeet Kune Do means the way of the intersecting fist. Do, Do is way. Tao is also way. So what that book says is the way of the way of the intercepting fist. Well, why are there two ways in there? Because Bruce was all about mixing styles, right? Like. Styles would be very like idealistic, like this is the form. This is this is the way that you do this technique. You never do it this way. You never do it that way. You can't blend it with this other style. And Bruce was like, no, I can I can blend my Wing Chun with with some Taekwondo, right? I can I can integrate some grappling into that. And whatever, however I do it, if I can do it effectively and score on you, then that is my way. That's the little D. That's the dough. But the big the Dao the big way is is the part where he says everybody's going to ultimately look at least somewhat similar. Like, I don't care what different styles we use because we have all have, you know, unless you've been injured or something, but we all have two arms and two legs, 
right? Geometrically, like in order to get leverage with a particular technique, you have to angle your body in a particular way. That's, that is a function of nature. That is a function of your, your physical, biological existence that you did not choose, that, 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 you, that was thrust upon you upon birth and as you grew into it. And that is metaphysical. Metaphysical meaning first cause or first principle, right? Like the ideas, how we describe it, the drills, the forms that we want to express it in, or even the actions that actually manifested in a particular moment in time are separate from the fact that human beings, right? Most of us have, right? If we have all our limbs, we've got two, two arms and two legs. And therefore we have to, we have to abide by those laws of the body, right? To, to, to make the, the technique work. So, uh, and, and, and to, to tie them to what you said about like the, the indigenous people that like, you know, we're, we're talking about basically semiotics and formal logic and, you know, all this really abstract stuff about how to even, how to talk about talking basically, right? How to talk about how to, how to just be intuitive with what is metaphysically there. Well, you know, right. You could go anywhere any indigenous community and right nobody's confused about the difference between a human and a tree right now they, now they're you know they might have a more of a, a spiritual understanding about the tree that it's alive like right? they might see it see the human and the tree is more closely related than we would in the west but they still don't think a tree is a human right because we have a different word for the tree that we have for the person just like we have a different word for a man that we have for a woman and that's not to mean that right that there's not play in terms of gender there but like we have these words because we're we're saying that like okay man and woman we're, we're mostly similar right because we're both human right and we, right, we have, like i said two arms two legs and all these other things right but there's still something that makes us different right and whatever, however you as a man or a woman in your own body want to express that difference, that's that, then fine. You know, I'm totally fine with whatever that might be. But we still have to be able to say that there is something different, right? I don't think any of us wants to be just totally, right? I mean, each of us here, right? Even the three men here, we're different in different ways, right? And, you know, uh, it, it, so that is something that is like you said you don't need formal logic or the I Ching or any system of semiotics or you know data or uh, you know metrics to 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 express that or to live that right that is intuitive that is metaphysical it's part of being human right and and like kenny's saying that it's really uh and as andy said too you know that it's civilization and you know and when we look at this art history i mean we can kind of draw like that continual progression where we're actually educated to question the intuition, right? Like, 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 like all these, all this jargon that we're throwing out is this isn't really us building towards something. This is actually in some ways an act of deconstruction, which by the way, that was one of my favorite stuff when I was in college, like cultural studies. And I loved it because, you know, I, even in high school, I didn't get it at the time, but I had a, uh, sociology teacher and he used to say John you are a conflict theorist you are a conflict theorist which that's that's Marxist is what it, that's if you take Marxist theory and you apply it to sociology it's called conflict theory meaning the way that you analyze every sociological structure is a conflict between and I would always do that like oh that's just because they got all the power and they're trying to push these people around you know and I didn't know anything about Marx at the time right but that's just that's sort of how I am I'm very I'm very critical 
Uh, and I liked to deconstruct stuff. But when I started to teach English and I was teaching that and we had this we had this uh, um, this portfolio thing where, where other teachers had to grade your stuff. And, and like I used to like to like teach lessons where like, hey, like, like the, my main thing was really deconstructing something. Right. Like it was like I was really doing that. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. No one's going to care about when they grade my portfolio. Like. Like, how cool of ideas did we, like, deconstruct? And you'd be like, can this person, like, logically, cohesively, consistently express a thesis from page one to the conclusion without contradicting themselves and having reasoning and evidence, right, and the appropriate appeals? And so that's when I started, you know, getting more into classical rhetoric, right? Just because it's it's a nuts and bolts thing, right? You've got ethos, logos, pathos, you've got three appeals, you've got, right, uh, what is a complete sentence, got to have subject, for all that type of stuff, and then from there, I mean, I st- we would still, I mean, look, when we read Brave New World, I mean, I guess, I guess I still engage in forms of deconstructionism, it's just that, like, for me, when I critique something, uh, it's because I do believe there is, some, there is a good and a, and a true, right, it's not just, um, you know, uh, 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 there's something underneath that. Like, I want to read this. There's a quote here from C.S. Lewis. And he was reading, um, he's got a book called The Abolition of Man. And he, and he pretty much says that and he's looking at literary studies and he's seeing that like we're moving into this realm of the subjective. And he's got this textbook that he's analyzing. And this is a passage from the textbook. And in this textbook, uh, there's there's an analysis of a collar of a, a situation where, where Coleridge is standing next to this uh, waterfall. And then there's an, and uh, Coleridge says, uh, that's sublime. And then the other person says, that's pretty. Right. And or, I'm sorry, two, and two people, one person says it's pretty. The other person says it's sublime. Uh, and Coleridge is like, no, it's not pretty. It's sublime. Well, why is it sublime? Because sublime suggests something about the metaphysics of nature. Pretty is a subjective feeling, right? And in this textbook that uh, that, that uh, C.S. Lewis was reading, they basically made the opposite interpretation. What they said was, no, Coleridge was wrong. To say it was sublime is the same as saying that it's pretty because it's just your subjective feeling about it. But, you know, if you're going to, I believe that in order to, to be able to critique transhumanism in the fourth industrial revolution, there has to be a good and a true. Right. Otherwise, what? The, how, how do we know we're not wrong? What? Maybe it's just all just evolution, right? Like it just—it's just something that's going to happen. And hey, you have to crack a few eggs on the way, but that's okay because you know if you just over the the arc of history, it's you know for the greater good in the end, right? And so that—that's that's the distinction that I that I would make between uh, Derrida's form of deconstructionism versus. Um, you know what? What I what I would because I mean in a lot of ways I, I guess I engage in, in very similar methods of discourse, right? In, in terms of performativity, deconstruction. But I do believe there's a Tao back there, right? And 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 without it, I don't know how how you can have an ethics, right? Like in philosophy, there's basically three schools. There's ontology, the study of being or what is, what exists. There's epistemology, how do we know? what exists. And then there's axiology, which is basically ethics. It's what ought we to do based on what actually exists. And we're, 
after the, you know, from the deconstructionist period forward, there's no more ontology. After Heidegger, there's no more ontology. It's just epistemology. Well, if you don't have epistemology, there's no ontology, there's no essence or truth or metaphysics, then who can who has the right to say which way is the right way to organize it? And therefore, then, who has the right to say that something is unethical? Right? Like, isn't it just what's most efficient? If it's what's most efficient, then I guess transhumanism is right. I'll pause there before we look at the art stuff. But that's that's like that's that's where I, that's that's what I think. That's my my position. Any or Jessica? I feel like I should have smoked way more weed before. The- <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I was just wanted to go back to I forget who asked at the beginning about okay, like how do we decide like where's the line? Um, I think with transhumanism of like where like where have we gone too far to where like we're not even human? And I like with with the like the erasure of ontology like you were just saying jake i guess like maybe i'll just like throw this out there i'm not saying this is like what i necessarily think in terms of answering that question of where is the line but i think we've gone too far right like when our when it's obscuring material reality or when it's obscuring biological reality right like like that example of the indigenous person who like doesn't have confusion between what's a human and what's a tree which we all laughed at because it seems so overly obvious right and yet you do have like thing theorists or queer theorists right like writing long papers about how you know maybe the tree is the human I mean this is oversimplification right but I mean and, and with gender right like you do have people arguing that like well, there's no male and there's no female. Like it's, it, it's just a silly like construct, right? Which it, it, that's where you get into like, well, okay, but actually <laughs> that is a biological reality. And just like we have, most of us have four limbs, right? We are a sexually dimorphic species. Um, so I don't know, just kind of throwing that out. There's like one possible answer or, or marker of like when we have crossed that line, I think. Um, which is not to say like materiality is better than, um, you know, whatever essencelessness or, or, um, ideas or yeah. I mean, whatever terms we want to use or vice versa, but just that I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm done. (laughs) I just, and I just want to say, to be clear, I, I don't know where the line is myself in terms of, because like, you know, I thought about like, like I couldn't do what I do if I don't have a car. I could not get to both colleges. So I am like, my life is dependent on that machine. And I had a friend, I have a friend who, uh, uh, you know, uh, conservative dude. And, uh, you know, I, I would like harp on like the, the ills of industrialism. He'd be like, he'd, he'd give me like a, you know, hyperbole strong man. Like, what do you want to live in a dirt hole? <laughs> and then I would, and then I was sitting there like, I spoke the choice is brain chip or dirt hole, dirt hole, please. Like, you know, so, I mean, I, my, my, I use that example because I mean, maybe, maybe the lines way past before, before we, any of us was born. I don't know. So I, I'm just, you know, I'm putting that out there. 
you know, I guess we'll, I mean, that is the way I understand the world, you know, through the Marxist lens, you know, is that, you know, we really haven't had a choice in creating the world that is suitable for humans, you know, and, 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 and what I see, even this acceptance of this transhumanist world taking shape, this passive acceptance is the result of a desperate life, you know, that we, that, that capitalism has created because, for example, take LA, right, Los Angeles, you know, these cities that were constructed to serve capital, not life, right? And so as a result, you know, many people have, instead of like, for example, constructing mass uh, transport, right, that's efficient for human life, so you don't have to get stuck two hours in, in traffic, then, you know, you're subject to having to use a car, right? So the technology is not liberating because it is technology under capitalism. It's about exploitation. It's not about prioritizing life or the quality of life of humans. It's about the efficiency of extracting capital, you know, and profit from, you know, the labor of people. And so, um, and, and I think that that's what we're gonna need to understand about what's happening, you know, regardless of the ideas, you know, the details, the semantics, the, you know, the terms, is that that is what I want to at least share that I think is happening, that that future is out of our hands. You know, that future is not about quality of life. It's the opposite of it. It's about desperation. And because that's what I, I see when I see, uh, you know, some kid that is just completely immersed in the metaverse, right? I, I see a the loss of humanity, right? Because being human to me, at least, it, it's about experiencing the things, you know, that I've experienced this last month with losing a person, with sharing with the people, you know, the victories, the flaws, all that, you know, and that is what I, I define as being human, you know, and, and I want more of that, right? And, and everything else, this system gets in the way of that, you know, and, being, and, and so, you know, that's why I fight against it. You know, because um, I do want, you know, more of that uh, indigenous, you know, worldview. That's not just also, you know, because a lot of people make this mistake that they define it only to as being brown. You know, that, that indigeneity was also taken away from, you know, the, the people that live in communal ways, right? Uh, in, in what, once uh, capitalism took root and they were forced into, you know, uh, factories because they were dispossessed of their natural <laughs> ability to be a little self-sufficient, right? Even as, as fucked up as, as, they, as they lived under their lords, they, they could still go to the river, right? Or, or, or hunt some shit or, you know. And so I want more of, I don't want the suffering. I'm not, I don't want poverty. You know, I do see value in, in some te technological progress. But at this point, it's not about that you know improvement of human life you know even as accidental as it was through capitalism at this point it's about some like perverse you know vision of the future that is about extraction that is about you know dehumanizing us for profit you know because that is the, the driving force in this to me and, and so we again we, we just need to understand that we can have a say you know, we we have to recognize that we don't have a say in it. You know, as as glitzy, as glamorous as technology seems, you know, it's not about quality of life. That's not the priority. 
that I see that's there. Yeah, and um, and Jake, I think again, this is this is your show today. I mean, like, and I, and I think it's important that because I think Jessica asked, she goes, "I wonder what Andy's thinking about or Kenny's thinking about." I'm bringing up just what comes up for me around this. It is not necessarily going to be helpful for you, and and you know, it's just another framework that that's coming up. Um, and and but I think this is helpful for me to hear your framework because it I feel like it it forces me to eliminate more elements of what I think is the framework I'm coming from. Um, and because you you asked a very important question, which is well, how do we prove that this truth is the right truth? How do we prove the trans essentially transhumanist wrong? And and what comes up for me in that is that if if we live under capitalism, then the transhumanists are right. They're absolutely right to collect all our data. They're absolutely right to to turn us into machines. They're absolutely because that maximizes profit. Although I do believe ultimately it will lead to an, a crisis in profitability that will fuck their shit up. But that has nothing to do with capitalism. They, they don't think of the capitalist system as as rife as as drawn into an inevitable crisis that will. Below, below the whole things up, but if you use their language, if you use their their construction, th th what they're doing is absolutely right. So the only truth that we can fight them with is the truth that I would say it's, it's working class truth, what I would call human truth, which is what's our truth is not one that is like turn collect all my data, surveil me, inject me with shit. That is not our truth as workers. Our truth is we need each other. Our truth is fairness. Our truth is justice. I would I would say it's it's our truth is is about not, not those things that divide us, vaccinated and unvaccinated, and immigration and non-immigrant and blah blah blah, and man and woman. You know, we are divided and along the. I accept that those are binary terms, and we but we're but that is used to divide us right now, and often to make men feel like women's unpaid labor or historically unpaid labor of raising a child, which we know is a very important thing because you, as a teacher, I can tell you what it's like to have a kid who has not been raised, if you will. It's a very difficult thing to manage. And I can, I guarantee you for the capitalist class, they want a future worker who has been educated and who has been socialized. And so those people who've done that work have done that largely unpaid. And often men have accepted that as like, okay, yeah, you don't get paid to do that. I, I'll get a wage and We'll share, if you will. I'll, I'll piece it out to you. So that exploitation that exists in the in the in the nuclear family is very kind of like that's a good, that's a good cheap little thing for the capitalists, actually. So I would say that um, the truth that we're talking about uh, is it can only be called truth because it's our truth because we don't our, the capitalist truth and the workers' truth are completely two different truths. They are not only different truths; they are oppositional truths. They are, and they're only resolved not in a debate. They're resolved in a war, class struggle. That is, we are not going to debate the capitalists, just like slavery was not gotten rid of through a debate about is it right to enslave people. It was gotten, it was gotten rid of in at least chattel slavery in North America because there's still elements of it. The was gotten rid of through a war. There had to be a fight. And and a material battle, like and it's it is it was an action of putting a hand up with a stick and doing something with that that was going to make that a possibility. And so, I think that that's what keeps coming up for me is that these truths that we are trying to find will be found in actions and in being, ultimately not 
in in idea. And of course, ideas will come out of that. But I know what you're. I think you know what I'm saying. I keep it just kind of reinforces that for me. Um, and that's what comes up for me so far as I listen to what you're saying. Yeah, I. Uh, it's, it's we've been going for a minute, and I. Uh, I want to do the art. I mean, otherwise, I mean, I have thoughts on it, but uh, I don't want. You know, I want to get to the art, and maybe maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe we'll come back to it uh, as a result. Uh, I, I would just. I would. The only thing I would note is that, like, where I would differ was that. By by using the language of by saying our truth, their truth, there still has to be a truth, right? Like like to use the like again to use the word like it like this is this is it is inescapable to to have an ethical judgment without there being some sort of standard of ethics. And just like the Dow, I'm not saying that we can you know, oh, this is what it is and absolutize it and beat everybody over the head with it. And then everybody conforms to this homogenous thing. But I think that, but the language itself, right, to have categories of categories that are distinct, although some could be similar and, and, to, and to then evaluate them, right, there has to be something objective to evaluate, not just Right, because then I mean it's it's pretty much just it's a matter of power, power and efficiency. I mean that, and again, we could go back and forth on that all, but damn. and I am saying that it, the the that the truth of the truth, if you will, will not be decided in logic. It will be decided in power. The do you, do you get my point? Like it is, it will be decided through the battle, through the war, not because it's a better set of ideas, because it's our ideas versus theirs, and but it's not our ideas. It's our it's. It, it, in my terminology, it's our class versus their class. And I'm not saying my truth is better. I will say, I'm just saying this is ours. And we will, we will only, it will only become manifest when we use our power to, to defeat you, to bring you, lay you low. We're not going to argue you out of that point. I'm not going to try to prove it to you. You're out. And you will be, it will be done in the same way that I'm going to be taken out of my classroom by a police officer. That's how this truth will be resolved. It won't be resolved through the logic of it. It will be resolved in an action of class struggle and class war that will be resolved in our victory. Be, and, and nothing else will make it true that a truth that is like, it won't be, it will be an imposed truth, imposed on them because their truth is trying to impose transhumanism. Our truth is, I believe, I believe it, it will have to be something about freedom. It will have to be something about humanity. If it doesn't have those elements, then I don't think it's going to be working class. It will have to be something about non-divided. There will be a collective element to it, but it has to be able to solve the riddle of collectivity plus individual freedom, which we haven't done a good job so far. I mean, historically, you know, some, you know, but it will have to resolve that riddle, I believe. Um, and so, but it won't be something that is a convincing argument. It will be an imposed. It will be imposed in the same way that the capitalist currently doesn't argue with us. They don't argue, they don't convince us of stuff. They impose it on us and it's imposed with their state. And of course they try to like convince others and they fool people into thinking this is good for them, but that's, that's their little game. their little illusion they play. And that's what keeps us out of power by and large. But ultimately what we are doing, and this is where you and I have had these discussions about pacifism or not, this, this cannot be enacted through a pacifistic process. There will must there must be a war to see this truth 
to see if one truth will defeat another. And because it's not a debate. I, I, so I would just say like, so like, I'm just going to speak existentially (laughs) from my own perspective, which is like how I have approached, you know, I guess to say the activism that I've been doing with my book, which is I, I never in my mind uh, and still don't really necessarily see that what I'm doing that I will ever reap the, the, the fruits or whatever. So that I will be able to uh, partake in the fruits, right. That, that most likely what will happen is, uh, you know, I don't know, at the, at the very least I'm blacklisted from my job in society. I mean, hasn't happened yet, but, um, and that, but the reason, but so then it's like, well, then why, like, why do that? Right. Like why, like why throw myself on the barbed wire so that other people could climb over me. And for me, that's because again, I do believe there is the true and the good and that human beings that by dint of being human, right. That we are all sacred and that we do have intrinsic dignity. Right. And then hence is, I mean, this, and this, you could do this logically, like with like the, just the golden rule. Like I know that, you know, that basically is, a reference to what Christ says the second greatest commandment is, but like you could do that logically, right? Like, why shouldn't you do it? Because you wouldn't want that done to you. That's like, like you don't have to. I, and in a sense though, that's a metaphysic because that's the first principle. And it's like, even though I really like, you know, this person, I don't like this person, you know, they really rub me the wrong way. You know, I'm still going to treat them the way that I would like to be treated in the even though they're, they're you know, castigating me and calling me all kind of names on social media, like it's as much for that person as it is for myself and others. And, you know, I believe that if you can, if you can, if you can get everybody like, like, like a revolution without that ethic or metaphysic, it's, it's, it's just going to be revolved again. Right. It's just going to this the system is just going to flip. It's going to be a style or a mile thing or, or which, whichever person you want to switch. And conversely, like if you can if you can through, you know, yes, through through ideas, but yes, through struggle and action with you know human human relationships, building relationships that people will like if, if, if enough people get to that perspective, the propaganda dies, the propaganda dies, then. They have to go back to the drawing board and they can't ram forward their, their material agenda as efficiently. Right. And, and I know that's not a revolution, but I mean, that's, I, you know, I think that, and we'll, and this is a good segue to look at some art history, which is that, and this is even before capitalism, I just think this is a, this is a human, you know, it's good and evil. Right? It's the human dialectic of, right. You can, a capitalist system is just another iteration of imperialism for, you know, going back to Sumeria and Acadia and so forth. Um, go ahead. I want to see if Jessica or Kenny want to come in on this. And I'm wondering if this is going to be two parts. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Do you feel like. Yeah, you can- I feel like to look at art, like it, we should take our time. Yeah. I hate to rush something like that. Okay. Uh, that makes fine. I mean, I, I don't mind doing a, a, a separate uh, section on it, and that's uh, probably a good way to, to break off, I guess. Yeah. And it'll give you some time to think about everything you've heard, and you can use that to frame how you're taking the rest. Let's do. Let's go ahead and cut it short. Cut it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cut it short for just. We'll just make this a two-hour episode as opposed to our. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Cool. Then that's what we'll do. And 
So that's transhumanism. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what? I didn't hear it. He said, "What's transhumanism?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a- apropos, right? What is what is what? What is anything? What? Right? I mean, that's kind of maybe that's what transhumanism is, right? You know, totally undefined everything. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say that uh, gives a whole new uh, meaning to when George Orwell said that freedom is the ability to say that two plus two equals four. Right. Right. And I honestly, to me, you're. You, what what's important about the work you've done so far, like the the new world, the school world order, and what attracted to me it was its truth that it described the world I was seeing. Um, and the capitalists don't do that, and there's many right now on the left who don't do that. The, the world they're describing does not does not that's not the world I'm seeing. Um, and I do think that matters, uh, and I understand that. We can bring, oh, it's kind of relative or thing, but I personally believe that if there's something that humans are going to, and I will say workers are going to want to fight for, I do think it's going to be animated by that element of verisimilitude, truth, seeming like reality, and it will be animated, Jake, by the sense of fairness. I actually do think fairness and justice and those sorts of things that people have not experienced in their own lives and want that for themselves, but then because of not fit, experiencing their lives, will be empathetic towards others. Others should be experiencing that as well. I don't think you're alone in that. I don't think you, you're not even Marxist. And I don't, frankly, I don't think many Marxists practice fairness, honestly, but whatever, I'll put that aside. I've got an ax to grind with that. But I do think an actual working class movement that was worth, that I would say that that was worth making a revolution with would be animated by a lot of those things you're describing and even the golden rule that whether it's Christianity or not, what's that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I, I personally feel like if, if it's not animated by that, then what's going on there. And, then, so. you know, and, and that's, yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, again, it doesn't, as Kenny was saying, we don't even have to be more complex than that. Right. I mean, like I think everybody intuitively kind of understands that unless you're like a sociopath and you for some reason think it's okay to do things. I mean, come on, unless you are goddamn trying to vaccinate all the goddamn kids. What the hell? I'm serious. Like, what is wrong with you? Like that, that's some twisted shit. And that is not animated by even a moment of fairness, given what these people know about this thing. It is animated by at, at best you could say covering their ass so they can get like not be sued stuff like that. Those are some, but really, it's just animated by we can use these people for whatever we want. That's what it is, and that's fucked up. But that is their ideas, and that's at the very top, right? But like, because I also, I also have questions about the people creating these technologies, right? Uh, you know, like in what their understanding of humanity is, if, even if they ask these questions, you know. Or I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making a very generous statement, but I, I almost wonder, like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I get it. I get it. And I do. And I do believe that a lot of people do it out of good intentions, but I, I do think it's a misreading of humanity. Um, you know, when we're talking about like making human cyborgs, right, or or like planting a chip under, you know, like someone's uh, skin to track us you know and, and and so i don't know yes it's about like the people at the top but it's also that subset that 
so that is you know auxiliary to their power. Jessica, do you want to say anything? And then no, I just I agree. I don't think those people are well. <laughs> I think we've gone over that before. All right, folks. That's part one of uh, of Jake's two part uh, journey into what would you say into what Jake into queer theory and thingism or something like that, right? Okay. Okay. Something like that. Meta the metaphysics in the metaverse. I don't know. There you go. Okay. Um, and uh, join us for next week's episode when we carry on with this discussion and we look at some art that helps us go deeper into this discussion. Um, so that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog, what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find past episodes of this podcast channel there and connect with us. Our own folks, if you like anything you've heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our eight platforms that you'll hear either on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and our uh, video channels, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, or you'll, you can listen to us on Telegram. Um, uh, if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, so uh, Kenny and Jessica, thanks for being part of this. Jake, thanks for your work and thanks for putting all this stuff together. Um, and thanks for being willing to kind of like uh, take this meandering journey with your ideas. I, I hope it wasn't too meandering. <laughs> our, our audience will decide if this was good for them or not. But frankly, it made me think of a lot of things. So I, I enjoyed it. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So see you all next week. And um, well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.